How's everybody doing this morning? Are you ready to receive a word from God? Man, I hate the rain. I just have to get that out there. I hate it. How many of you like the rain? You're like, this is the best day ever. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Pray for you. I know. I guess all Arizonians love it because we get sunshine all the time. But I am a sunshine girl. Like, I need it 24-7. And if I want something different, I'll get on a plane and go there. <laughs> but anyway, we will suffer for the Lord. Amen. But um, I'm excited. We are on day seven of our corporate fast, everybody. woo woo, woo. And I am hearing so many testimonies. Some of y'all are still fasting, no food. I am so proud of you. I'm proud of anybody who did anything. It doesn't matter. But whoa, that's amazing. I know some are going to try to do the whole 21 days, and I just think that is so awesome. I did one 21-day fast in my life, and then that was it. I never did it again. I think it affected me. <laughs> I shouldn't say that as a pastor, but I do think, no, I'm just teasing. But uh, some did three days. Yay, praise the Lord. And, uh, and now I did a three-day, and now I'm on my Daniel fast portion. So if you aren't a part of it yet, you can jump on in. It's never too late. Amen. We're, we're going to the 21st or 22nd, and uh, just ask the Holy Spirit what portion you're supposed to fast. And uh, we have a resource page on our website. Uh, you just jump online, and there's a whole information about fasting and you can just even fast coca-cola or you know if you don't really love jesus pepsi i mean i don't know <laughs> just saying <laughs> i'm just teasing let me i'm just kidding i'm not i'm just kidding but uh, anyway find something that you just can kill that flesh a little bit you know when you're fasting you don't realize how much you think about food I think about food all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over there and get a little snack. Oh, can't have a snack. I'm on a fast. So, and it does crucify the flesh, and it does get you in tune with the Lord. And, and just ask the Lord, maybe there's one thing that's just been a mountain in your life that you're facing. Say, Lord, I'm going to take this fast, and I'm, I'm going to do it for that mountain. Whatever resistance, whatever one place. So if there's confusion, say, I'm going to aim it right at that place. And fasting doesn't change God, but it changes us. And so, how many know we need changing? Some of you are pretty close to perfect. I mean, some of you, we still have prayer, Matthias. We're still praying for. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I'm so glad you're here. So jump on in. I want to share a little bit. Um, you should have received a card when you walked in Heart for the House. And I'll share a little bit more about that at the end of the service. But uh, in the courtyard, you probably saw a really cute hot house, unless you were running in because of the rain. Um, and we'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But God really spoke to me coming into this new year. I believe it is a new year. And I believe God is taking his people and really trying to push us into this new season of our life. And sometimes going into the new season is like putting a needle, a thread through a needle hole. Has anybody ever tried to do that? It can be challenging and it can be uncomfortable. But if you allow God to move in you over these next few weeks in your life and say, God, I'm open to what you want in my life, God will change you. He will change your circumstances. And he really wants to get you into a new season of your life. And so my message this, this next few weeks is called Heart for the House. And God really spoke this to me that he wants to bring through me a message of his heart for his house. Because how many know God has a heart for his house? 
His house is his bride. And he has an agenda for his bride and for his house. And he values God's house. He values this house. And, and that's why I get so angry on Facebook or whatever social media platform when people talk against the church. You can talk about me all you want, but don't talk about the church. I will come out fighting if you talk about the church. There's like this uh, Italian ghetto woman that comes out of me if you try to talk about God's church because God values his bride. He values the ones that he calls to the church to be healed, to be saved, to be set free, for marriages to be restored. This is God's idea. This is not man's idea. Amen? And so I've been putting some teachings together, and I have to tell you, I've kind of been like a kid in a candy store, like, what direction do I go, Lord, you know, because I just love his house, and so does he. And so anyway, I sat down at my desk during our fast this week, and I said, Lord, what direction do you want to go? And the Lord said this to me. He said, there's four things that he wants in his house. Four things that God wants in his house. And when I sat down at my desk, the Lord just gave me, this is a brand new teaching. He gave it to me from the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that it really provokes our heart. So I'm going to ask you this morning to just listen with ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. And out of these four, it may be something that you're like, I got that one down, right? But there may be one that you go, man, I need to allow God to work that in my heart. And this is a message from the Lord, and so I really hope that it provokes you. Amen? So I'm going to open up, and I'm going to talk about David, which is our theme scripture for this series. But it's out of Psalms 132, verses 3 through 5. And it says this, David said, I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. David had such a passion for God's house that he, in his heart, he said, as a king, I can't tolerate just building a temple where I will dwell. I don't want to build a temple for myself and all the good things that God wants us to have, amen? But David said, I've got to build a house for the Lord. I, I can't worry about my own life right now because God needs a place to dwell. And I believe that's the passion that is coming back to the world today because there is a lost passion and zeal for the house of the Lord. COVID, the plan of the devil, caused people to lose passion and zeal for the house of the Lord. And there's so many things that happen when we gather in God's house, and that's why the devil hates it. And that's why the devil tries to keep us from it. And that's why the devil causes offenses while we're in the house. He gets us mad at each other. He gets us offended. I don't like what the pastor said. I know you never say this about me. It's all the other pastors. I don't like what they did, right? And he, the devil loves to stir up this dissension in God's house. But David said, I can't sleep unless God's house is first. And I believe God's bringing that back to the body of Christ, that we've been so consumed with our lives, and not saying that we shouldn't, but seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. And since 2020, we've been seeking understanding for ourselves. We've been seeking how to pay our bills. We've been seeking all the natural things. And God says, seek me. Find me in my house where there is my anointing 
in my presence, which I'll share with in just a minute. So I feel like God's going to start provoking believers to get back to God's house. Prodigal sons and daughters are already coming back home. And we're going to see more and more prodigal sons and daughters fill the house of God. Because God wants his church to be filled up with his glory so that we can go be the church in a lost and broken world. And right now, it's kind of confusing. The lines are blurred. Who is the church and who is the world? The lines are blurred. But I want to tell you by the Spirit, and I hope you hear this, God's judgment is coming to the church. His judgment is coming to the pulpits. You're already seeing that happen. And we don't have to mention any names. This isn't the enemy. God is shaking. There are seasons in the kingdom of God. And the church has to discern the seasons. And we are living in a time where God is calling his church back to righteousness. God's zeal for his house is beginning to stand. And God's going to stand for his word. He's going to stand for righteousness. He's going to stand for holiness. And where there was a season we got away with some things, God's saying, not this season. Now, you can go to another church, and I don't like to church bass, and I won't, but you can maybe find somebody that you enjoy hearing, and they're going to make you feel really good. But as a pastor in God's house, I have to tell you what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I have to make the clarion call to let you know the power of God is visiting his church. And it's going to come with conviction. I'm going to get ahead of myself, so I'm just going to stop right there. I don't want to preach my message in the beginning. Let's keep going. David had a passion for the house of God. Psalm 69.6 said this, For the zeal of your house consumes me, and the insult of those who insult you fall on me. Do we have that scripture verse, Psalm 69.9? He said, The zeal for my house, your house consumes me. We need to have such a righteous standard in this hour, church, that when anybody comes against God's word, when anybody comes against God's promises in his house, we need to be insulted by it. David said, you insult me when you insult God's house. There has to be a righteous anger in this hour. There should be something triggered in you as believers that when somebody or culture tries to tell you something that's opposite of God's word, it needs to be insulting to you. It should be offensive to you. Why? Because we have to stand for truth in this hour. And I'm not talking about anger truth. I'm talking about, actually, that's not what the word of God says. If you want to know the truth, I'll sit down with you and I'll take you verse by verse. But we need to get offended and have a zeal for God's house. The word zeal there is the uh, word that means kina. And it means this. It means passion, love, enthusiasm, jealousy. This is what God says we're supposed to have for his house. When you are passionate about someone or something, you can't sleep without thinking about them. You can't wait till you get to spend time with them. You're thinking about how can I make them happy? How can I make them better? How can I fulfill their dreams? That's the love that God wants us to have for his house. How can I make faith builders better? How can I make it stronger? What do I have in me as one person that I can give my gifts and my talents to this church to further the kingdom of God's house? God hasn't called us to be pew sitters, blue chair sitters. He hasn't called us to be sitters. He's called us to be doers for his house, passionate for his house, a zeal for his house. 
Amen? That word jealousy, you ever been jealous of somebody or something? It consumes you. And you think of jealousy as a negative thing, but when there's a jealousy for God's house, it consumes you. Where's that person that usually sits over there? Where's Sally today? I haven't seen Sally in a couple weeks. It's consuming me. I got to call her. I got to find out where she's at. I got to love on her. I got to pray for her. That's consumed with jealousy. Your mo- jealousy means motivated by love and the concerns for others. Church, we should never be such a people that we're just inward instead of outward. We got to be in a season that we're others conscious. And I'm going to tell you, people are going to think you're crazy by putting the church first. They're going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you lost your mind. Praise the Lord. And when David, if you study it out, had a passion to build this place for God, he had a zeal. His neighbors criticized him. (laughs) They thought he was an idiot. They made fun of him. They insulted him. Listen, in this hour of the world we're living in, you are going to insult the world. You're going to make people mad. And maybe not so much the world, maybe other religious people. Why, you go to church every Sunday. Where's your family priority? Well, I seek God first. And when I seek him first, he takes care of my family. Because God said if I'll take care of his house, he'll take care of mine. That's the revelation we have to get, church. That God has to be the number one focus in our life. They made fun of him. When you begin to give to God, you begin to serve God in his church, you begin to be in the house of God every Sunday because something's going to happen. There's a miracle that's going to show up in God's presence. People are going to criticize you. But that zeal was so important for God's house that in the book of John, chapter 2, verse 17, you know the story where Jesus went in and he drove out all of those who were selling in his house. He took a whip with righteous anger and he drove out that injustice that took over God's house. And when he did that, the disciples stood back and the Holy Spirit reminded them of what was written in Psalms. And they they rehearsed it to themselves. And they said, remember what was written, that the zeal for your house consumes me. When they saw Jesus angry, they remembered this is the zeal for God's house. We've got to get God's house back to where it belongs. That we will fight for God's house. I will drag my children kicking and screaming to God's house. Why? Because I have a zeal for his house. Amen? Hallelujah. David couldn't tolerate building something beautiful for himself without building something amazing for his God first. So studying about David and uh, this zeal, the scripture verse, came to me. And, and all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there praying, I was thinking about the Ark of the Covenant and we know David's very strongly attached to the Ark of the Covenant. And as I was sitting there and I just wrote down the Ark of the Covenant on my paper, I heard the Lord say the title of my message, this is what I want in my house. He said, what's in the Ark is what I want in my house. The Lord says, what's in my Ark of the Covenant? And I wrote down the Ark and everything that was in it. And we're going to go through this quickly today, amen. Amen. And we're going to get through it in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And 
I could go deep into each one and I'm not, but I just want to give you the vision as we cast this series. What does God want in his house? Not just a zeal, but what does his house look like? I think the church has gotten so far away of what his house should really look like. You know, I think we've gotten into the smoke and the lights and the beams and the perfect music. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But God is really looking for something more than that. So I want to look at this. Number one, let's look at the Ark of the Covenant. What does that represent? Ark of the Covenant always represents his presence. God is looking for his presence back in his church. His presence that comes with anointing and reverence. There needs to be a reverence awe back, brought back into God's church. A precious, beautiful, that we value the presence of God. I think we, we get so comfortable with God, don't we? I've been serving him a long time. I was raised in a Christian family, and I'm, I can get comfortable with the presence of God. But we have the all-powerful, all-knowing, anointed God's presence that dwells in this house and in your house and even in your own temple now, amen? And God wants the value of his presence brought back to his house. And in this scripture verse, the Philistines had captured the ark, the Israelites had let it down, and the Philistines captured it and took it away. And they now have that presence of God, the polluted presence of God. And I'm thinking about the Philistines that represent the world. And as I wrote that down, I went, isn't that what's happened today? That the world has taken the glory of God and made it designed the way they think it should be. They try to tell us what we should be preaching from God's word. They try to get us to compromise God's promises, the culture, the design of a man and a woman and how God has created them, of life in the womb, things that we are afraid to talk about because the Philistines have captured the ark. God says we've got to not bow down to culture. Don't bow down to the Philistines that are trying to take the church. The ark of God's presence has to come back to his house. And it comes with a vengeance. And it comes with people being offended by the truth. But you have to tell the truth. Because the truth sets people free. If this generation, these young people over here, and the young adults don't learn the truth, the promises of God stop. They're no more. And we can't be afraid to teach the truth of God's word. If there's ever a time you need to be digging in scripture to find out the opposite of what culture is trying to tell us, it would be right now because you need to have some arsenal in your tool belt. I'm going to study to show myself approved. I'm going to learn the truth so when God puts someone in front of me, I can offer them the truth. Because I will tell you, the culture right now, this young generation that's confused of their sexuality, of transgenderism, do you know how many hundreds of thousands are trying to detransition now? Because nobody told them the truth. Do what you feel. Do what feels good. Do your own truth. And now they're broken. They've been casterized. They don't even know who they are, and they want to go back, and it's too late, and now they're broken. And no one told them the truth. Nobody said God can heal you. God can, can take that confusion and he can give you truth. And we can work with the power of God to give you what you need. 
You can be healed and delivered and set free, and I'll walk with you. I'll grab your hand. But instead, we're like, oh, well, we'll let culture have them. God's like, get the ark back in my presence. So in 2 Samuel, because the ark had been gone for so long, we find David. It says he was wearing a linen ephod. That was like an apron. That's all he was wearing. I'll just say that. Now, let me just tell you, please don't ever come in here naked trying to run around and worship God. But he was wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Why? Because the presence of God was back in the camp. The Ark of the Covenant came to its resting place in Jerusalem. And when David knew that he had God's presence, he didn't care what anybody thought. I'm going to leap. I'm going to shout. I'm going to dance. And I'm going to thank God for his presence. <sighs> but we come in on Sundays and we just are comfortable. I'm not criticizing. I'm trying to aim us to the future. He says, I want my presence in my house. Verse 15, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. When you remember the presence of God, you can't help but shout. You can't help but have a crazy praise. You can't help but weep. You can't help but run to the altar because his presence is in this place. It wasn't an emotional thing. It wasn't like a, a great fog machine and, and lights that elevated my emotions. In his presence, there doesn't have to be a sound. You can humble at his feet and worship him. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Listen, church, when we start praising God in his, in his house, they're going to mock you. They're going to despise you. Why? Because you're, you're showing them their lack of freedom. Your freedom emphasizes their no freedom. Their lack of ability to get into God's presence. So it rubs that religious spirit wrong. David danced publicly with delight as the Ark of the Covenant was brought to its resting place. In his display of affection, his wife despised. But you know what? He did it anyway. The Bible says where two or more come together, he is there in the midst. Listen, when we gather in his house, he is here. His presence is here. We've got to remember that. We're just not here to have three worship songs and go to the next thing. We're here to bring in his presence. So what happened when the ark showed up, God's presence brought true worship. We need true worship. Worship that's unashamed. Worship that's stripped down. Not literally. But stripped down in people's opinions. I don't care what you think about me. I was broken and depressed all alone at home Friday. You don't know what I've been through. I need his presence unashamed. I want to strip of, of, of the worldliness, the way the world thinks. I'm going to strip of my worries. I'm going to strip of the weights of the world. I'm going to strip of the bills that I got to pay. When I come into his presence, I'm stripping myself of all of those things unashamed in true worship. What happens? We come in here carrying all the burdens. I am guilty of it, I will tell you. 
I have to bat them away myself. John 4.24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. His presence brings true worship. Worship is when we give our deepest affection and highest praise to something. I prize, I prize God above everything else. Guess what? Worship doesn't start here in this room. Worship starts at home, in your car. When you do something privately, you know you can do it more confidently publicly. I learned to play the drums privately. Me and my friend, he didn't think I could play the drums. I said, I can, I betcha. And I won. I'm not good, but I can do it. Hallelujah. Amen? What we need to do in true worship is strive to abandon all artificial stimuli. Abandon it all. My dad prophesied that there'll be a time there'll be someone on a guitar, and that's it. And God's presence will fall in the church. Because I think if we stripped away everything that we bring to the church, where would worship really rest? Just think about that. If I took the hype and the loud everything and just calmed it down, where would true worship rest? Now, God wants the, he wants the timbrels. Don't get me wrong. It's scriptural. But sometimes we just need to be authentic and strip all of that away. Amen? What are the fruits of true worship? I got to hurry. Faith happens. Miracles happen in worship. Repentance happens. How many times in a worship service has had, and I'm just putting it out there, people just start repenting everywhere. Repenting. They don't need an altar call. They don't need somebody to provoke them. Repentance. Do you know when revival would happen with the, the old revivals, if you study them, they'd be walking to work, falling on the sidewalk, weeping in repentance. Repentance doesn't have to just be in God's house, amen. But when there's true worship, there's repentance, there's humility, there's joy, there's thanksgiving, and there's holiness, and there's so much more. His presence fills and completes our life. I have to go on. I cannot finish that anymore, but let me finish this. True worship was what Mary of Bethany did. Mary of Bethany went to the feet of Jesus, and she broke open her most valuable treasure, and she broke it at his feet. And we know that that worship, that true worship, said, I'm going to give it all to you, Jesus. And I was thinking about this story, and we know the story, and how the aroma filled the room, and everybody was blessed by her worship, and all that's awesome. But as I sat there reflecting, I realized Mary of Bethany had a choice. Like, the Holy Spirit or God, or however the communication was, there was an unction inside of her that said, Go get your perfume and give it to him. And she had a choice to say no. I never thought about that before. We see her, yes, but we don't know. I, I believe she responded quickly, but she responded. See, God will come in our life. He's looking for our yes. You have the choice. Mary could have went on with her year's wages that she gave away, her worship to Jesus, and we never would have heard about her. And she might have been safe and secure. I don't know what her life would have been. But she just so decided to obey and gave true worship. I believe she heard Jesus share of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what I believe. And when she caught the revelation that he was the Savior, she anointed him for his death. I believe that in my heart. But Mary made that sacrifice, and you know what? It caught, her worship cost her. It cost public humiliation. They scorned her. She didn't belong in the room. They criticized her and the guests that were there. 
I'm going to ask you today to ask yourself, what is too much cost to God's house? I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about our time, our worship, our serving, our giving. How much is too much to give to God's house? And when you think about Jesus that gave it all for us, how much is too much for God's house? I would say all of it, amen. God's heart for his house is what he told me is true worship. Number two is the Ten Commandments. This is a covenant, a code. It was a code, a covenant with God and his people. And it means God's looking for obedience and loyalty back to his house. This might be a little, a little hard one, but I, I got to be obedient to the Lord, amen? You think of the Ten Commandments as the law, and it's the law, and it's done away with. But the commandments were a covenant of God's promise. It was an instruction, and so in Exodus 20, we see the story of, of Moses going to the mountain and writing down the Ten Commandments in this great uh, moment with God. And in Exodus 21 through 23, you, you just read the law, the law that was all about the law, all about the law, something they could never really fulfill. But Jesus, or God comes to them, Moses, and gives them an instruction. And the instruction was this, behold, I sent an angel before you. What is this angel sent to do? This is in Exodus 23. It's to keep you in the way. Now, the angel is God, and you'll see that in a minute. What is God's assignment for your life? To keep you in your way. God knows where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, who you're not supposed to be with, when you're supposed to be there. There's a way and a plan of God. God says, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. How many are so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth? He leads you into the design of God's plan. But he said this in verse 21, beware of him, this, this angel, and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. What's he saying? I am that angel. But if you indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. What was God saying? There's a covenant I've given you. If you will obey my voice, I will bring you someplace that I see you. But if you don't obey me, you break covenant with God. Listen, obedience is in the covenant and when we aren't obeying his voice, not man's command, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we are breaking the covenant and we wonder why the enemy is open to the situations in our life. I know this isn't the ooey gooey grace message we're so used to from 15 years ago. The grace message ruined the church. It ruined the body of Christ because it was taught wrong. Grace is not the pardon to sin. Grace is the empowerment to overcome. That means I'm an overcomer. If I'm struggling in an area, I don't have his grace to go, oh, well, I can just be me. No, you can't. God says, I am with you if you obey me. Now, his grace comes in in our weaknesses, and he comes in in, in mistakes, but I'm talking about willing disobedience. Amen. 
So let's look at uh, the next verse. He said, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and all the ites, which represents the culture of the world, all the enemy. I call it culture. I call it the idols of the world. I call it perverted compassion. That's where the ark has been left with the Philistines. That's perverted compassion. And what did he say? I will cut them off. See, the enemy is cut off of your life. God already promised that. He said, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely, completely break down the sacred pillars. That is a church that fights the culture of the world. Amen? That was the promise, verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God. Listen, because you're in covenant and in obedience, he will bless your bread and your water, everything in your home. I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the numbers of your days. <laughs> but the Lord says, but I'm asking something of you. I have this promise and I have this covenant, which I'll show you in a second, but I need you to obey me. We need to open up our ears this year and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Give me voice to hear what your spirit is trying to speak to my life. We don't need a dull hearing in this hour. We need to hear what the spirit has to say. And if God says stop something, then stop it. Why? Because he's trying to get you somewhere he sees you. You go that way, you're on your own. Anybody ever chose that route? Hello, we all have been. We've all chosen a long one, and God got us right back his grace, but it didn't come out with some heartache, didn't come out with some pain. Amen? There's some consequences there. And God's like, well, if you'd have listened to me, that looked good, but I said no. <laughs> go here. I don't want that. Lord's asking something of you. Exodus 24, 7, he, this is what Moses did. This is so cool. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, listen to this. This is so good. Here's the law. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, a lot of don'ts, right? And here's my protection of covering. Here's the covenant. Listen to this. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. How many know that it's so easy to say when life's going good? When you got the paycheck, you got the favor on the job, I'll obey you, God. And then as soon as things get rough, God, where are you? How come you would abandon me? And we start making our own frustrated decisions. <laughs> I can preach this because I've done it. <laughs> right? It's easy to say, God, I'll obey you when it comes down to the wire. Because obedience is hard. The covenant begins when there's trouble. The covenant is there, but it isn't active into your life until there is trouble in your life. Then you make it active in that covenant. So what happened? We see the first covenant was through the blood. A covenant requires the blood, right? So in verse 8, in Exodus 24, 8, it says, Moses then took blood, there's the covenant, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
he took the blood covenant and he sprinkled it on the people, saying, my protection is always with you if you obey me. Now listen, this is where people get a little messed up. Well, Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, he did, but he didn't abolish it. He didn't eradicate the law. And we know that. I don't even have time to go there because you find in Hebrews 9.19, the same covenant is mentioned about Moses and the blood covenant with God's people. It was mentioned in the New Testament, which means it was a law fulfilled, not removed. This will be better next week, I promise. Just tuck the toes. Just tuck those toes. Let me tell you this. The reason why I can teach this is because I've not been obedient, and I paid the price. And I've been obedient, and I saw the outcome because God knew where he saw me. And I had to trust his direction. I had to trust his yes that was hard sometimes. I had to trust his no's that were really hard all the time. <laughs> Jeremiah 7.23 says, but I gave this command to them, obey me. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all that I command you. What? That it may go well with you. Well, why is everything going bad in my life, God? <laughs> why are you never there for me? How come Sister Susie and Joe over there gets all the blessings? and Nothing's happening for me. It's always bad. Walk in obedience to all that I command you that it may go well with you. It's a covenant. You can't break covenant. You can ignore it, walk away from it, but it's God's covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law. I want to read this. I'm, I'm going to get to the other two next week, y'all, so you're just going to have to hang on because there's no way I'm finishing this. Plus, it's a lot. First Samuel 15, let's look at this. But Samuel replied, he was talking to Saul, does the Lord delight in offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? God doesn't want you to sacrifice. He doesn't want you to pay the price. So what's more important? God delights in our obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. That word is witchcraft. We wonder why the enemy is all over us, tormenting us, tormenting our mind, causing us to lose sleep because we are in rebellion to God's word. Not man, God's word. He said, when you are rebellious, you open up to witchcraft. And the arrogance is like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. What did God tell King Saul? I've rejected you as being king. And he was chosen by, well, by man, actually. But let's look at John 14. And we're going to close with this, okay? So take a deep breath. <sighs> How many love the truth? <laughs> love the truth. We love the truth. All right, says this, John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. This is Jesus. Anyone who loves me, oh yeah, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father, whoever loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Keep going. Isn't there more? Anyone who does not love me 
will not obey my teachings. These words are not my own words. They belong to the Father who sent me. I love that because they can be like, well, Jesus, you're kind of hard today, you know. He said, listen, these aren't my words. These are my Father's words. I say that to you today. This is not Barb Pruitt's words. This is the Father's words. Why? Because he's bringing the church into alignment of this season. There's a great season for the church. But God needs the church to the house to look like a place he would dwell. His house needs to look like God. Amen. So we talked about we need his presence and we need obedience and loyalty back to God. I'm going to stop there. We'll finish next week. But I'm going to pray this week that you will really hear that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe by the close of this year, and it could be even as soon as after summer, that your life will look completely different. God says, I have a place for you. Just like heaven, I've prepared a place for you. There's a a place prepared in heaven, but I need some places prepared here on earth. Come on, somebody. I need some places that God needs to align in my life, and I'm praying that for you also. Before I go into our our close here, our heart for the house, we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks of God's heart for his house and You should have received a card this morning, and I'll talk even more about it next week. And we have a house in the courtyard that was built, and not today because of the rain, but next Wednesday night and Sundays from now on, I want you to start writing the prayers for your family's house because we want to start coming into agreement with your family, salvations, whatever it is prosperity, whatever you're believing for your family, we want you to write on that house out there. And we're going to pray over that house every week and believe God for your own home. Amen. And uh, with that, um, we receive our, our annual special offering towards building God's house. And I have to be honest, I hate talking about giving. I hate it so much. But I, I got this revelation the last couple of weeks that I would be so passionate to teach on healing and not even think twice. And I'd be so passionate to talk about deliverance and your marriage healed. But do you know there are more scriptures in the Bible on finances than there is prayer? Why? Because, and I'll get into this next week, but it takes money to build God's house. It takes resources. This just doesn't happen magically. Changing this city and changing this world and the vision for faith builders does not rest in where it is right now. There's a vision to reach this city and have revival happen. And it takes that by funding the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. People think Jesus was poor. Do you know Jesus was rich? That's why Judas was like love and carrying the bag. He was the accountant. He wasn't stupid. Jesus was so rich that when he hung on the cross, they gambled for his robe. You think they gambled for some cheap robe? No, it was finest of linen. Why? Because Jesus' ministry had to be funded for three years to shake the world like he did. It had to be funded. And the blessings that come to your home, and we'll talk more about it, but you need to get the revelation of giving to God's house because it will change your life. Giving to God's house changed my parents, changed my life. 
changed so many lives in here coming from poverty. I'm thankful I come from a second generation that paved the way for me and I was able, I didn't have to take as much territory and be blessed, but my parents came from poverty. I know Pastor Paul shared a story, poverty, living with nothing and now blessed coming in, blessed going out. That didn't happen magically. It comes by taking care of God's house first. And I wish I had 10 hours to, to sit because I don't want to just leave you here. And I just encourage you to research that on your own. But we're going to receive a Heart for the House offering the last Sunday of the month. Very similar to what we did last year. We'll do it again. Every year we'll do this. But we're going to believe for your house and we're going to believe for this house. Amen. So all I'm asking you to do is take your cart home and say, Lord, what part do you want me to play? What do you want? I believe the Lord won't say nothing. I believe he'll say something. But all I want you to do is ask the Lord. You take it home, read it over, pray it over. Some people give all year long. Some give a one time immediately. Some say I'll give one time, you know, in a few months, whatever. You just let the Lord speak to you. But I believe this significant seed to push this church forward, amen? We have so much to do for God. You know, the Bible says don't muzzle the ox while it treads. The quickest thing that can slow a church down is no resources. And that's not God's house, is it? It's not God's house. God wants a house to flourish, a lighthouse on a hill that can be seen. Amen. Amen. So let's just close our eyes. Father, I thank you today for these amazing people, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that some of you, I just felt like the Lord had you here. And there's something that you heard that's going to change your life. The Lord said, if you'll say yes to what he's speaking to you, he will change your life. I just see like, not a one, yeah, 180, 180 directional change. It's just like you're going one way and boom, your life's going to look this way. The Lord says, if you'll trust me, if you'll say yes to what I'm calling you, my calling to your life, I will change and meet every one of your heart's desires. And God, I just speak grace, grace over this message. Holy Spirit, let them hear and remember what you wanted them to hear, God. What they can walk away that inspires and changes and transforms their life. I want to give everyone the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. You know, just saying a prayer doesn't change everything, but it definitely opens up the heart, your heart to say yes to Jesus. And we're going to say this prayer together. If you'll just repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace. In Jesus' name, with all eyes closed for just a minute, would you lift your hands if you said yes to Jesus? Maybe coming back to the Lord. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Maybe for the first time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know some rededications all over this room. Father, we thank you for every heart that's been open to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Praise God. Listen, be here next Sunday. Because I believe God's going to continue to just touch your heart. Amen. Let's welcome Pastor Paul.